It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and uh, thanks for joining us. we got some uh, good stuff to talk about. Really, really excited about this one because I'm going to give a little little thought and perspective on the news. Going to highlight the stupid because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we're going to phone a friend. This time we're going to call Governor Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire. He made a fascinating decision not to run for the United States Senate, but to run again for the, uh, to be the governor of New Hampshire. You know his dad. His dad was governor of New Hampshire and the former chief of staff to George H.W. Bush. Fascinating family. Uh, we're going to learn a lot more and just hear uh, the story about Chris Sununu and uh, how is it that he has is, is just uh, persevered and, and excelled and how he's become such one of the most incredibly popular governors in the country um, and what that family's doing. So look forward to calling him. But uh, first... Let's talk a little little bit about the news. So there's a lot happening. Every hour, it seems, things are moving on the front with Ukraine. Movement with the president, movement with the president of Ukraine. There's just a lot of moving parts in every hour that's going on. While that's happening, the rest of the world is also marching on. And I really wanted to highlight this idea of school choice and the ability of parents to be able to make decisions as to where their student is attending their schools. It is absolutely fascinating to me that there is a political party out there that says, no, there shouldn't be school choice. We don't want you to choose because, oh, that would harm public schools. Well, if public schools were fulfilling all the needs that needed to be filled, then you wouldn't have people who felt like they needed to be able to make a choice to go somewhere else. I think this is one of the big sleeping issues of the 22 election and the 24 election. Because not only because of school choice and the principles that it represents, but you have a lot of people who are going to vote based on their ability to get their kids a, a good quality education. When you have crime that is so rampant, and that rampant crime, particularly in the inner cities, extends itself out into the schools, there's nothing worse than a parent to sending your child to school, give them their backpack, maybe make their school lunch or give them a little school money to some money to to get some school lunch, or maybe you can't even afford school lunch. But you go off to school, and you know what? Are you worried that your child is going to be safe and be able to return? And some of the policies out there to get rid of these police officers and the resource officers within the schools, that scares me. And it's got a, it, I, I don't even have a child who's in one of those types of schools. You couple that with how masks, mask mandates, COVID were dealt with. Even when the President of the United States at the State of the Union with Nancy Pelosi and Vice President Harris right behind him were able to take off their masks, not have to deal with masks in their in that situation in Congress. Because this remember, the science supposedly changed literally 24 hours before the State of the Union. And you saw all those members of Congress, nobody having to wear the masks. And then you go back and you hear, still today, there are schools that are mandating young children wear their masks. They're letting some of the older kids not wear their masks. 
but the younger kids have to. I got to believe that parents out there are going to be looking at that saying, I have to have a choice to get my kid out of that school. I can't afford a private school. It's ridiculously expensive. But the candidate that comes before them and says, I advocate that you get a voucher or that you have some sort of school choice so that you can get your kid in the very best situation for their very best education and learning, I think those candidates are going to prevail. And so while we have to talk about war, we have to talk about what's going on in, in Europe, and we have to talk about what's going on with Vladimir Putin and Russia and all of that, and China and all these other national and international problems, I think at the local level, inflation, crime, immigration, these are the types of things that are going to help drive the election. And there is a clear choice between the two parties. And it'll be fascinating to see how both parties make those types of decisions. All right. So that's my take on the news, that that is a big part of the news that's not being reported, but is going to affect every family and consequently going to affect how people feel uh, about their election and going to help sway in 22 and 24. All right. Now it's time to bring on the stupid because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right. I'm going to go to a Ted Cruz tweet because uh, Ted Cruz actually pointed out the stupid and he was forwarding somebody else's tweet and I can't remember the guy's name. But it, was ta- it had a picture of the new box of Lando Lakes. Lando Lakes makes some of the best butter out there. I know. I've consumed it over a long period of time. Can you picture that yellow box? Can you picture that beautiful scenery? And it had a beautiful Indian or Native American right there on the box. Well, not only did they take off the Native American or the Indian... <laughs> But they left the beautiful scenery. So I think they're hoping the consumers will look at that and say, it looks a little different, but I can't remember why. The tweet that I saw was, in order to be woke, in order to be politically correct by taking off the Native American, it says, this tweet, not mine, but somebody else's tweet said, they literally removed the Indian and kept the land. All right. (laughs) That was a really stupid move. I don't understand why highlighting... The Native American heritage and highlighting that on a consumer product is anything but a form of recognition and a form of compliment. I mean, if you're an athlete, what do you try to do? You try to be the best athlete you could possibly be. So maybe someday you can be on that Wheaties box. Like it's not done in a derogatory tone in any way, shape or form other than to remember and invoke a positive image. They're building a brand about butter. They want good things. Do you want you to think good things about that butter? I would suggest remembering and thinking about Native American heritage is a good thing. But I thought it was kind of almost comical the way they said. They literally removed the Indian and kept the land. Aye, aye, aye. Much like what maybe happened over a couple hundred years ago. Um, a real problem. And I just thought it was pretty stupid. All right, next one. This one's not really stupid. I thought it was funny. And I, I got to paint a picture here for you because the, the video and the still shots, which I saw, was far better than anything that I'm going to be able to do justice from. This came uh, from our friends over at TMZ. TMZ, uh, their website there, evidently down in Australia, Brisbane to be uh, exact. The Deputy Prime Minister, Stephen Miles, he was giving a speech. And, you know, it's Australia's pretty rural. 
Well, when you're out in Brisbane, beautiful, one of the most beautiful parts of the world. He's standing underneath a tree giving this little speech, and he had an interpreter, you know, the sign language interpreter who was signing so that, you know, everybody could participate in his speech, and they were broadcasting this. Um, and he was giving this speech about the recent flooding. There's a lot of flooding evidently going on up there, and it was really bad. And all of a sudden, evidently, there was an owl directly above the, the interpreter, and the owl decided to kind of do his business, dropped all over the shoulder and front part of this poor person's for. And you know what is so great about this? The attitude, This it just started laughing, because all of a sudden, next thing you know, this guy had this big piece of, pass through through the owl and all of a sudden and and they are all just laughing and smiling like all right we're all been there it didn't take themselves too seriously it's not really stupid but i did think it was funny and i did think it was worthwhile and i do think the deputy premier stephen miles and his interpreter did a really good job of dealing with it and that falls in the category of funny not so stupid but pretty funny All right, now it's time to, to phone a friend, and I've had the chance and the opportunity to uh, get to know this person a little bit through the years, the world of politics. Um, uh, I've known his dad, the former governor of, U- of uh, New Hampshire, but now the one who served as the chief of staff to President Bush. But now his son is going to be running for, I believe it's his his uh, fourth term. They serve different terms up in New Hampshire, where you only serve for two years at a time one of two states to do so. But uh, looking forward to calling Governor Chris Sununu uh, the governor of New Hampshire. Let's call him up. Hello. Governor, this is Jason Chaffetz. Thanks for joining us on the Jason in the House podcast. I tell you, I don't pick up my phone all the time, but for you, my friend, anytime. How how you been? Well, hey, thank you so much. You know, I've had the honor, pleasure to kind of get to know you a little bit along the way. Came visit you there in the governor's office with my wife, Julie, and uh, seen you about. And and, uh, you got a great reputation, and I'm glad to have you join us today on on the podcast. I'm, I'm honored you would even invite me. I mean, nowadays in this you know hot political world, you just never know the hows and whys that you're being invited. I'll take any invitation I can get. So I think it's great. Well, you know, you're exceptionally nice guy, and you you come from a, a rich tradition of uh, public service. And gosh, your dad's participated, brothers, right? I mean, you got this is like Sununu politics, New Hampshire. There, there's, I mean, you guys are everywhere. Well, we are. You know, people think that, uh, oh, boy, you're from this giant political family. And and look, my, my dad served, obviously, as not just the governor, but then the White House chief of staff. My brother was a congressman and a U.S. senator. And there's me. But, you know, as governor, but people forget I'm number seven of eight kids. So there was 10 of us growing up. Three of us chose politics, frankly. So in, in New Hampshire, that's like below the curve. Right. That's that's par for the course. If that um, everybody runs for office in New Hampshire, everyone's on the local school board, the select board. We have 400 members of our House of Representatives. It's a, really a, a volunteer legislature. Um, so, no, that's just part of more of what New Hampshire is all about. But, yeah, you know, given the, the background, obviously, I don't want to say I, for, I have to work to separate myself. I think people that I'm a little bit different, you know, we all kind of carry things a little bit different in terms of both policy and personality than my brother and my dad. But, uh, but no, that's just kind of the way we roll up here in New Hampshire. I mean, that ties into the whole first in the nation primary, have a very, very unique system and all of that. So, um, but it's been great. It's really been great. I learned a lot from those guys. So let's go back growing up because, yeah, when you're when you're in the younger half of the class uh, growing up, 
does that make life easier? Does it make it harder? Do you have to like fight for the cereal in the morning? What was life like growing up with that many kids in the house? Yeah, it's a good point. So I'm number seven of eight. The first six were pretty close. And there's a kind of a gap to me and a gap to my little brother. So a couple things, by the time you get to number seven, like you're not the baby of the family. So you don't get the attention there. The first six have really, you know, your parents are just like, yeah, do we have a number seven, whatever. And that's fine. So if anything, I flew under the radar a lot. Um, and the downside of that is, you know, in a family of, of eight kids, you're always kind of fighting for a little bit of attention. But after a while, you realize that that doesn't really matter anyway. So the benefit was I got to fly under the radar, right? There's goods and bads to that. By the time I came around, um, you know, there was my 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 mom wasn't I mean, she cooked dinner every night and all that. And that was really nice. We had a great, great home life growing up. But, you know, my brothers and sisters, like couldn't wear jeans to school, like back in the you know late 70s and early 80s. They couldn't do that. And by the time I, I you know, was going to high school, my parents weren't even awake. You know, my dad was gone and my mom wasn't even awake in the morning type thing. And so, you know, we just there was a lot more flexibility. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. A lot more flexibility growing up kind of on the later side of things. And um, but, you know, you don't necessarily get a ton of attention, but that's OK. You kind of, you know, you kind of make your own way. So what was your like what was. When you talk about Chris, little Chris, before you were the governor and all that, Chris growing up. You know what they call me? They didn't call me Chris. You know what they call me? No. Fur. Yeah, my fur. family called me Fur. Like, like F-U-R? Like- <laughs> P-H-E-R, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if anyone ever spelt it. But yeah, they, everyone, and no one else. I don't know if I've ever even talked about this, frankly. But yeah, I, growing up, my family called me Fur. So it, yeah. So when you're talking about Fur, yeah, what, what was Fur like growing up? I don't know. Well, I mean, what was your niche? Were you into sports? Were you like a skateboarder? Were you like Pokemon cards? Like, what were you doing? Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, I was a little, uh, I'm 47. So I was, I was into sports. I played uh, baseball and soccer growing up. Uh, I was very outdoorsy. We were a very outdoorsy family. But at the same time, being seven of eight kids, the television was also the babysitter, you know, when the sun went down. Right. So it was like outside playing all day when you come in at night. You know, we, we watched a lot of TV and growing up, you know, my mom and dad, you know, love sitting around the TV and watching television with us and stuff. So that's that was kind of our our thing as a family. We were very much a skiing family. Right. So we love to ski together uh, on the weekends. New Hampshire is a big skiing state. Obviously, my dad was the you know, the really the first true skiing governor um, and would go pretty much every weekend would go somewhere across the state to ski and helps promote tourism and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I was I was pretty I wasn't like I was never the best on the team or anything like that. But because of my brothers and sisters, they were all very active in sports. And so I kind of found my niche there. I probably did something, a lot of the same sports they did. And then when I eventually, you know, I was a little different because I grew up, you know, in New Hampshire, in Salem, New Hampshire, going to public, public schools here. And then in the high school years was a little different. All my brothers and sisters went to Salem High. You know, that was a big deal, you know, growing up in our town. It's a great high school. And then in those four years, I actually, that's when my dad became the White House Chief of Staff. And so I actually had to move to Washington. So um, maybe that's where my bitterness towards D.C. comes a little right. bit because between the age of 14 and 18, I spent four years in D.C. Uh, before coming back and going to, um, to college uh, in Boston at, at MIT. So, um, yeah, I was just I was just in Northern Virginia. I was a uh, went to Thomas Jefferson High School for science and technology, the magnet school there kind of. You know, high school for for geeks and nerds, but it was awesome. I mean, it was really a great opportunity. But um, yeah, so I, I didn't kind of follow the exact path because I kind of got pulled out of that. And that was pretty tough. You know, one day, you know, your parents are like, um, by the way, we're moving to Washington. And you're like, wait, what? Like, we're from Salem. Like, why? we don't do that. This is New Hampshire. We, are you serious? And 
you know, it was a great opportunity for my dad. He did a great job and all that, but it was very hard. And it was just me and my younger brother that went down there. So we went from this family of 10, right, in Salem to a family of four, basically. My mom, my dad, me and my younger brother, because everyone else at the time was off in college or beyond. And so um, that was kind of a almost like a second family, if you will. It was my main family, but it was a, a it was just a very, very different lifestyle just to come home to this little nuclear family of four. Well, yeah, and dad could not have been home much. I mean, you're the chief of staff to the president of the United States. That's that's not an eight to five job. That's uh, that's twenty four seven. Yeah, yeah. I remember the day he came home, and he, you know, it was pretty late. I said, "What is going on?" You know, the the invasion. They were talking about the invasion into. Uh, I don't remember know if if Hussein had gone into Kuwait just yet, but he looked at me. He said, uh, "Yeah, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna have to go to war." And I'm like, "Wow!" And that is a kid, a 14 year old kid. You grew up, you're like, yeah, you know, the Vietnam War was like this really ended so terribly and all of that. And you kind of grow up with that in the background. And you're like, yeah, you know, the first time when your dad has is kind of a decision maker in a lot of this and he tells you that's happening. That's kind of surprising. But it, the reason I bring that up is it really hit home. I'm like, wow, you know, he actually he actually does stuff at that White House. <laughs> like, well, really let's go back. Yeah. This, so little, <laughs> when you're fur and you're what did you think like early on in your life? What did you think fur? What was first perception of what does dad do for a living? Because to try to explain politics to maybe somebody who's like six or seven, and then as they grow into it, yes, okay, it makes more and more sense. But what did you think dad was doing? So a couple of things. I got. Well, I was in second grade when he first got elected. Uh, I was, I think, eight years old, and he had uh, three terms, which in New Hampshire means six years because we have two-year terms. So basically, I went to elementary school through those years. I knew he was governor. He was head of the state, a state that you know my my parents they just love New Hampshire. I mean, my dad just so loved it. He grew up. My dad grew up in a in a, a pretty much a Spanish-speaking household in Queens, New York, right? Mm. And so. Um, you know, when he came to Boston, he was a professor at the time at um, Tufts University. He was, he was a teacher. He was an engineer. And, uh, and then I knew he had run for office for things here and there. So I'd always grown up with him running for local office or the state house or something like that. And then when he finally becomes governor, it's, I, I knew what it was and I got it, but it was still New Hampshire. Like he still came home every night. That's the, the one of the best parts about being a governor is you get to be really influential and make a lot of impact with real tough decisions. But for the most part, you come home every night. And so in that respect, it wasn't very different. Here's one for you. Our address and phone number were in the phone book. The governor's <laughs> address. We didn't live in a governor's mansion. We lived in the same house we had always grown up in. That's just the way we roll here. So my address and phone number were in the phone book. Anyone in the state could have and sometimes did pick up the phone and just call, just call the house. And when you have eight kids, my dad yeah. was like, Fur, get the phone, you know, Elizabeth, get the phone, Kathy, get the phone. Dude. No one, he wasn't getting the phone, but one of us would, you know, and he, sometimes you get some pretty interesting characters on the other end of that line, but it was cool. That's just the way, way we rolled. And my parents were really, they love part of what they loved about New Hampshire is that even in the role as your dad as governor, they tried every which way to keep it super, super normal. And so in that respect, it wasn't that big of a deal, to be honest. I mean, I think he did a great job in his six years. Now, that was also before social media, right. before the polarization of politics. Everybody really, for the most part, got along. New Hampshire was more of a red state at the time. We're more purple now. Um, we're not blue by any means, but we're more purple now. And so it was more Republicans. So, you know, his, some of his toughest battles were with fellow Republicans. Um, I never worried about him not, you know, winning re-election. We never really had that thought in our heads, although I suppose it could have happened. But um, yeah, so it was, we, they tried to keep it really, really normal. 
You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Governor Chris Sununu right after this. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. So as you're going along, anybody who wants to become the president of the United States heads to New Hampshire. I mean, you got that first the first primary there, you must have been meeting quite the collection of people. Did you, did Fur understand, I'm talking about you third person here, but did Fur <laughs> really understand like who was coming to dinner and who your dad was hanging out with? And uh, I mean, did that like register at all that, wow, every named politician in Republican politics was cozying up to your dad? Yeah, sort of. And that hit home in 88. Because uh, in '84 Reagan was president, right? So he and Reagan had come. That was a huge deal when Ronald Reagan came to the state in 1984, and you know he kind of made a stop off, and we we're you know here at the state house. Actually, I met Ronald Reagan literally five feet from where I'm sitting right now, which is really bizarre. I was, uh, I think, in the like the fourth grade at the time. But um, then '88 comes, and my dad really believed in George H. W. Bush. I mean, he just. He just believed in him very strongly. So normally the a governor of New Hampshire wouldn't get involved in the primary and wouldn't endorse. But my dad said, I believe in him. I mean, and I you know, stand by my principles and maybe he win, maybe he won't, but I'm going to work hard for him. And he did. And so I can't remember how many, you know, if he was, I'm sure he's meeting folks, but it was more at the state house. They weren't necessarily coming to dinner or anything. But I know at the through early or kind of mid 87 into 88, spent a lot of time with um with the bush 41 and uh who's just a phenomenal guy by the way i mean you just i mean you know i mean you just want to talk about a stand-up guy that right. wants to make the sacrifices and do right by his country i mean he was it he was just in it and a true american hero by the way anyway so um that's really was the the kind of the first in the nation memory for us um but obviously the just a lot of action and a lot of intensity. And because my dad had endorsed him in 88, he was right on the front lines. And after he lost Iowa, my dad tells, I won't, I don't want to take my dad's story per se, but he does tell a great story flying back uh, from Iowa to New Hampshire after Bush 41 had lost and everyone's kind of dour. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And my dad's like, don't worry, we got this. I trust me, we got this. And everything turned around in those two weeks and um, Bush ends up winning here pretty strong, you know, going from, you know, third or fourth in the polls to winning it in the last couple of weeks and, you know, pulling a few tricks out of the hat. And that just launched him, obviously. And, and next thing you know, he's president of the United States. So, yeah, it was a, a little different. Now, as governor, I mean, I think especially this time around um, in 16, I was running kind of side by side, if you will. I don't want to say side by side with President Trump, but, you know, we we're all running together on the same ticket. And uh, and so we saw a lot of candidates come through in 16. We saw a lot of Democrat candidates come through in 20. And then I think it's going to be an absolute you know, free-for-all uh, in 24. So I'm really getting a front-row seat this time. So you um, – well, let's go back to your – being uh, – my time here at high school. I don't know if you were fur when you were in high school, but uh, – No, I kept that. I kept that. That was pretty much in the house. I didn't let my friends know that one. Oh, uh, okay. All right. I, so, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> so now you're Chris or Christopher or yeah. I don't know what they're calling you down in, uh, in Virginia. Your dad's the chief of staff. Yankee. They were calling me a Yankee. Oh, there's yeah. this – that, that Yankee from New England, what's he with that weird accent? <laughs> who, uh, who who likes those Red Sox? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and uh, what? Uh, but as you go through that experience, um, your dad's a chief of staff. You're did you have awkward teenage years, or was that like a pretty smooth time for you? 
I'm sorry, did anybody not have awkward teenage years? Because I'd like to meet that guy. I mean, yeah, really? I, know. I, I had this I have this friend and I've told this story before. I've got this friend, Mike Maurer, who works in the governor's office here in, in Utah. And uh, once upon a time, I used to be chief of staff to the governor of Utah here uh, in, in Utah. And we, somehow it came up like, you know, what is life's most embarrassing moment? And Mike Maurer's answer, I think, was the best because his answer was, well, uh, my most embarrassing moment, yeah, sixth through twelfth grade. <laughs> there you go. That's is- it. No, so in that respect, yeah, the, I guess the hardest part was with me, especially in high school. Everyone kind of knew the situation with my dad and everything. So anything that was slightly embarrassing got massively exaggerated, right? Or was somebody would try to make it something political or whatever. Um, you know, I went to TJ, and it was a very just to be blunt, a very super smart high school, right? You had to take, it's a public school, it's a magnet school, but you had to take a test to get in and they had really high standards. So every, and it was in Washington, Northern Virginia. So I would walk into high school and like half the school is like sitting by their locker, reading the Washington Post. I'm like, oh my <laughs> yeah. God. You know? What so high school does that? Really, well, right. So it was really engaged. And in that sense, it was, you know, you had great discussions and all that kind of stuff. But it also meant from a political standpoint, yeah, anything that was embarrassing or anything you just wanted to keep down low. And those days you just want to pull. Remember, in those days I was wearing like a flannel shirt, kind of the, the hat pulled down. You know, it was really the, the grunge phase of everything. Right. I was in those early 90s years. And uh, so those days when you just want to like put, put your hat, pull your hat all the way down and not even deal with anybody uh, because, of, you know, whether it's you had a zit uh, that you didn't want noticed or whatever, you just felt like the whole world was staring you, staring you down sometimes when you're when your family's in that spotlight. And at that point, going from governor of New Hampshire to now White House chief of staff, where sometimes he's on the front page of those local of those national papers or part of the, the story or he's, you know, he's on CNN that night because he's standing in the back crown or you know with the president everything just gets highlighted and so that kind of sucked to be honest i mean it really sucked so i i appreciated some interesting times down in northern virginia but it was hard not so much from an embarrassing standpoint but an awkward and there's a slight difference there right it was just everything was just awkward and uh by the end i i that's why i i I was thinking about going to some schools in the south but i had missed home i had missed new england and I had the opportunity to come back and go to school in Boston. And, and that's one of the things I don't want to say that drove me there. But because those years had been a little bit awkward, had been a little bit exaggerated on that level, I uh, I couldn't wait to get back to New England and back to uh, I had lost my accent by then. You know, I, I used to have a kind of pretty hard towny accent um, up here in New England. And then I went down to Virginia and that was you know, where they're saying y'all and all this kind of stuff. And pretty soon I was probably saying y'all. I was like Madonna when she goes to London and inherits the, the British accent or something. <laughs> so I was down there inside kind of this combination of a, of a slight northern, uh, slight northern Virginia slash southern accent with a New England accent. Uh, makes me sound like I'm from California, I guess. I don't know. But now I'm back <laughs> home. And you know, it's not it that bad. I promise. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so that, that growing up, did you what was your first job that you had? Like your first oh. Hey, I was out and about and, you know, I mean, you probably had chores at home, right? But what was the yeah, first I, job? You know, I had, had paper route. Yeah, I took my brother's paper route and I liked doing that actually because um, I knew all my neighbors. It was a pretty easy paper route, uh, but that was when I was really little. And then when I got into high school, like for a job job, I did uh, some construction on the side. And then the, you know, the best, the first, you know, in college is one of the jobs that I for whatever reason, I just remember the most. I worked at a landscaping company in a nursing a nursery when I was in high school, um, and then some construction. I like being outside and you know working with my hands. 
But then I worked at a movie theater. I was re really into film. Um, I had an engine. I was going to MIT to get my engineering degree, my civil and environmental engineering degree, which I later, you know, did for about 12 years. But I loved film and I minored in film and I was very strongly considering going to Hollywood and trying to work in, in film in Hollywood. So I worked at a movie theater, a giant, one of the biggest movie theaters in Boston. And uh, man, talk about trial by fire. I mean, it's, it was kind of an inner city theater. Your first year you're there, it's, it's uh, in months there. It's kind of disgusting. I mean, just, to, you know, you learn what's in the popcorn and, and the butter they use in the popcorn and all that. But I got to see all the movies I wanted. Um, but for some reason, it always made it such a stark impression on me. Um, first time I was really doing retail, right? You ever do a retail job? I don't know what, what your first first job hey, was. I, I, hey, I went from gardening in Arizona to hanging wallpaper with, you know, helping somebody hang wallpaper. Then I realized I was a white collar guy. And my first job? Working at a movie theater where at the oh, General, no General Cinema Corporation on my powder blue blazer and my clip-on bow tie with my short sleeve white shirt at Arizona oh, yeah. at the time. Oh, yeah, I did everything from pop the popcorn, sell the popcorn, clean up the popcorn. Yeah, we sold tickets, yeah. the whole bit. And in my senior year, went up to Colorado. A single, I mean, it's kind of a total opposite. I did everything. I was the only employee that would be working many nights sell the tickets, pop and sell the popcorn. And then I had to run in the back to start the movie. People would say, oh, are we late? And I was like, no, don't worry about it. I can't turn on the, <laughs> turn on the camera until, until I finish filling your popcorn order. So it was kind of fun. Oh, yeah. Literally a single screen, the silver screen cinemas uh, there in, in Winter Park, Colorado. It was in the basement. It was down underneath the, the retail no shops. Kidding. Oh, it was fun. Yeah, That's it was awesome. See, I worked in, the, in kind of a big one in the city. And, and so I'm, I'm preaching to the choir you kind of have to do everything. You're like, um, Chris, you got to go clean the bathroom. Chris, you got to, you know, you know, wash up now. Now you got to mop this up now. And then the thing I always found amazing that one of my first day on the job, I, uh, the, a movie gets out and they said, all right, we got to, we got to go in and clean. I said, okay. And the guy turns around and he hands me a leaf blower. I'm like, what, what the heck do I do with this? What is this? He goes, you stand in the back and blow everything on that floor to the front. Then we squeegee it all up the front and, and like, I was like, okay. So I stood there and I would, I, with a leaf blower from the back under the seats, you're blowing popcorn and soda, just spilling it everywhere, but they didn't care. It was the fastest way to clean it up. And then, you know, that's why the floors would be all sticky and disgusting because they would actually intentionally almost spill this stuff, push it all of the front. The one guy would have like a snow shovel. <laughs> We're in New England. Yeah, these snow yeah. shovels, And he would snow shovel all the stuff to one side, <laughs> dump it in the bucket. You're out of there in 30 seconds and you do the next one. And I'm like, Okay, well, they, I'm an engineer. I like innovation. Okay, I see they're, they're you know, trying to you, be efficient. You, you kind of learn a lot of life skills doing all that. First of all, your recounting that story brings back this aroma that is permanently in brain, ingrained in my head somewhere. And it, it, as soon as you see that, I start. I can smell it. I can. I can smell that. There's oh, yeah. a certain mix between soda and popcorn, and that butter bubble. that just yeah. makes just permeates my my senses. So in yes, the shoe. I don't know about you. I had to lose my shoes. I like after like two months, I'm like, I, I have to throw these shoes away. Like they're just not like, they're so disgusting. There's so much stuff would get in them and, you know, <laughs> running around and, and what we call butter. I think they use more real butter now, but back then I, I don't, it was some yellow chemical, right? It tasted delicious. Oh yeah. But, you're right. Um, don't, don't look in the butter bin or whatever no, they call that no. thing. That, that was pretty gross. Yeah. Butter washes out of your clothes. This stuff, it stained it. 
I would get a, a yellow stain from the butter. I'd put it in the wash. It would come out brighter and worse than before. It was like some sort of odd chemical reaction with the cleaning detergent that would make it even worse. And so, you know. Hey, just because I dip my hand in there to get a little taste of the butter doesn't mean that it wasn't pure and clean, folks, when you got your butter popcorn. It was amazing. Aye, aye. You could put it on the popcorn and use it to clean at the same time. You know, <laughs> yeah. like a, it was like it was pure chemical. And it can freshen your breath with a little dip with your finger. It's just exactly. awesome. <laughs> All right. So we got off on that tangent. So wow. you learned the real life retail selling um, you know, red vines and popcorn and all of that, but you yeah. went to MIT. I mean, it's not like you took the easy route out there. Um, what, what were you going to do? If you didn't get into politics, what would you be doing? So I, uh, I go to MIT and um, it's funny, I go to MIT and I'm, and I'm in a fraternity and, and, you know, we get towards graduation and all of a sudden I realize all my buddies and we all have engineer, different engineering degrees, chemical, aerospace, um, uh, mechanical, I'm in, in civil, environmental. And all of a sudden they're like, yeah, we're all going to work at, in Wall Street. And I'm like, wait, what? Well, I thought we we're engineers. <laughs> oh, no, no. Wall Street wants the MIT engineers. Did you get the memo? And I'm like, Shoot, no, I, I really didn't get that memo. So um, I loved being an engineer and I was more of a, on the environmental side for about 12 years. My thing was cleaning up hazardous waste sites. I was drilling holes, uh, uh, finding contaminated soil and groundwater, uh, cleaning the sites up and redeveloping them, right? Um, and so whether it was someone hiring my firm to fight the EPA or whatever it was, we just tried to be very common sense and smart about cleaning up old sites and redeveloping them for, for better use. And I loved it. And it kept me outside, right? It wasn't just all... And on a computer type engineering, although there was a little bit of that in terms of the modeling and design we had to do. But I love doing the environmental stuff. And then uh, I, through our, I just got to the point where, you know, you get to that point of 12 years, you're like, am I ready to, do I want to make that next big leap and commit another 10 or 12 years to this? Or is this not maybe the career for me? It's a great job, but maybe not the career. And I want to try something different. So I, uh, I went into kind of business consulting and, and development. And then that haphazardly fell me into running um, I ended up buying and running a ski resort. I put an investment group together and I bought a, a great ski resort here in New Hampshire that we loved. I was just trying to help them. It's one of those things where I just want to be helpful for another group. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm in charge. And uh, I don't know anything about running a ski resort, by the way. Uh, they don't give classes for that at MIT, as far as I know. And, uh, but I, I, I wrote the business plan. I did the financial model. I found the investors. I did it all. And they all said, look, you wrote the business plan, right? I said, yeah. They said, well, follow the plan. We like you know what you're about. We like what you do. You have the know the the right uh, take on this and so the investors wanted me to, to to run it which i did for about six years and then through a whole another series of odd events i um i ended up running for governor so um i didn't think i was going to run for governor i didn't think i was going to run a ski resort um i didn't know i was going to be an engineer for 10 years so i don't ask me what i'm doing in the, you know two or three years from now i have no idea so okay so at, to, at, at some point you uh you met that special somebody, got married, right? Had started having a kids in a family of your own? Yeah, that was part of the, that was in the rule book, I think, that, you know, at some point you have to meet someone and have kids in a family. So we, we checked that box. And, and Valerie's great. I met my, my wife at school. Um, she was at Simmons College while I was at MIT. Uh, we started getting together kind of as I was graduating. And uh, it was great. We got engaged, moved to San Francisco. I mean, Nancy Pelosi was my congresswoman. Like, oh let's cut goodness. right to that. Right. So I lived in the heart of San Francisco for about three years and we did it because we were young and we were married and we wanted to see a different part of the country. And this was right at the dot com boom of San Francisco in 2000. So we weren't dot comers. I was a civil engineer. She was a school teacher. So we had to pay these astronomical amounts just to rent a place 
you know, like you'd show up to, to get an apartment in San Francisco and there's like a hundred people waiting just to get in. And you're like, well, this isn't going to work. Got lucky, friend of a friend of a friend type story, found a tiny little apartment in the back of a garage. And um, she went to work every day over the Golden Gate Bridge as a school teacher. I went, I worked in a firm in downtown, cleaning up environmental sites in San Francisco, Oakland, Utah. Did a lot of work out in, in uh, Twella Army Depot in yeah, Utah. Yeah. Twella. Spent a lot of time out in Twella, actually. Hey, that's <laughs> impressive that you know how to pronounce Twella because for those of at home, at home it's t-o-o-e-l-e so write that yeah. down and try to pronounce it t-o-o-e-l-e you know if you've got utah credentials if you pronounce Tooele right the other one down south that you can tell a utah or uh, really not somebody from here is if they say oh i was in hurricane utah like no it's hurricane it, it there's it's there's it's totally different it's hurricane it's not hurricane um, but Tooele is the toughest one on the map. You you got that. My mom would you got some. To... You got some Utah credentials. Oh, the Tooele. And so my mom would call me. What are you doing in Thule? I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's... Let's, let's leave it be. Just leave it be. But you know, you sometimes you'd get in the in the Salt Lake. You'd uh, as you know, you you'd get. I, I would call him a fish kill. Like all of a sudden, something would happen with the pH. All these fish would die one night, and the smell, frankly, would come 15 miles south down on the high plains of Utah, which was absolutely beautiful. But man, it would rip and stink. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I if, love. If, if I mean, the winds are going stuff. the wrong direction, look out. It's, not whoo. good. Not yeah. good. And Unfortunately, I, look, it only lasts a day or two. But then it, it comes and it goes. Even even if you're further <laughs> away from Tooele, I, I believe me, I've I've been there. And yeah. yeah. All right. So you're yeah. sitting around one time and you're like, uh, "Honey, listen, I think I'm gonna do what my dad did. I think I'm gonna run for governor." Like. What made you think like, hey, you know, this is really a good idea because, you know, it's easy. I'm, I'm still not sure if it's a good idea. I've been doing it five years. And I'm just yeah, but you're running again. Stuff. You're going for a yeah, I know, term number I know. four. I call everyone else crazy and I'm the, I'm the, I'm the guy going for a fourth term. So a um, couple things. At the time I was running the ski resort and I was running my own business. And the two things happened. Number one, I started having kids. And so my kids start going through the schools and I'm like, wait, this, I grew up in the public schools here. This is not quite what I was expecting. We live in a tiny town, 1500 people. And uh, I'm like, this, this isn't quite, I have, you know, real high standards. New Hampshire schools are phenomenal. Not quite what I was expecting as a business. We were also really above board on the environmental side and the permitting side and the regulatory side. And the regulations were so unbearable. And I thought, this is the live for your die state. This is not like we, I realized from a business owner point of view that we had really slipped. We had become closer and closer like our, our neighbors, the Mass Vermont and uh, Massachusetts of the world that frankly, we usually make fun of, right? I mean, I, I love those, they're great, great places, but from a regulatory standpoint, they're usually the butt of our joke. And so here's the, the really tough part getting to your question. My, my wife didn't like skiing and I was running a ski resort. She can't stand <laughs> politics. And I'm like, so I'm going to go from one job that, you know, isn't really your thing at all to a job that's even less of your thing. But uh, I don't worry. It's, I think it's a good idea and it'll work out. And she was very supportive. I mean, she really was. And I think she believes very strongly in what we've been able to do and how we've been able to really fundamentally change the state for the positive. But it's hard, man. It is so hard on with social media, with wife, with young kids. I have teenagers. I mean, all through COVID, it's, it's been a I don't mean I'm not asking one. Don't cry for me. Right. But it's been really hard in the family. And, and I carry that. That's that's a really hard burden. Now, we only get elected every two years here. Total accountability in the system. I've been elected three times. I've been governor for a little over five years and I am going to run for a fourth term. And I never thought of that either, but with COVID still kind of lingering out there with a couple other 
issues of the federal money coming in, how it's going to be spent. We don't want to grow government. We want to stay regulatorily flexible with the freest state in the country for, in terms of public freedoms. And so a lot of things have been, the seeds have been planted really well, but I don't think the roots have taken. And I came to the conclusion, given I had to make this decision a few months ago, that given all we still had ahead of us, I needed just a little more time to get some of these new programs and new systems that we've designed to take root. So I am going for a fourth term. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. I, I think it's I think we've done great by the state and, and I do love the state and I just don't want to leave it and let it slip. I just want some of this stuff to take a little more time to take root. Some of these, I get very involved in the details. So these programs, whether it's dealing with opioids or mental health or all these different things, we're trying all new stuff. A lot of it's working, but if you don't like, like anything, you know, it's, it, it really is. If you don't water it every day, you don't sing to the plant a little bit. It's not going to necessarily be there tomorrow. And so we want to make sure it's, um, it's really sustainable for the future. Yeah. You know, you really haven't been there that long when you put it in the context of it's every two years you're running. Um, that's, it's not like you've stayed in perpetuity and, and uh, no, I, but you had a big decision. I mean, I think, look, nationally, the United States Senate is just right on the precipice. One vote here, one vote there. And I think there were a lot of people that understood how incredibly popular um, and well-received that you are in New Hampshire, that you might run for the United States Senate. But, you know, being governor, you can get a lot done and you can be the chief executive. And it is a different system than most states. So Help us understand how, you know, that decision, because I think nationally you're getting a lot of pressure to run for the Senate. Oh, I, I, an immense amount of pressure. And I gave it real thought. I thought I was going to do it for a while, uh, to be honest. But and, and you know, the way it, when I decided not to run, I, I, I know some people were very upset because they're like, how could you say no to us and all this? And, and look, I, I was probably a little I don't want to say overly critical, but. I, I think across the board, I, I'm not thrilled, and I think I speak for most of America, that I just don't think the U.S. Senate and, and frankly, the U.S. Congress has lived up to, to the standards that, that we want to in terms of our elected officials. Um, I just think they can do more. I think they can try hard to run bipartisanship. And to the point you just made, as a governor, I'm not term limited out. If I was term limited out of being governor, you know, Doug Ducey or, or um, Larry Hogan or, you know, when Rick Scott was, Rick Scott was a great governor of Florida uh, and he was term limited out, but he wanted to keep, keep serving. So it made logical sense to run for the Senate. I'm not term limited. out. I love my job. It's really hard, but it's amazingly fulfilling. And as the chief executive, every day I can make a new decision to impact somebody's life. You cannot do that in Washington. You just can't. Right. right, right. D.C. has its has its policies and it, its temperament and all of that. And I, maybe I just don't have those skill sets, but I can tell you I'm much more suited to protect New Hampshire's interest, even on a national level as governor, um, because I can really design stuff and I engage at a whole different level with our constituents as opposed to being in D.C. And, you, you know, you've been there, man. You've you've seen that D.C. bubble and you did a great job. And was also every it was also a bit of a different time you know and uh, even just a few years ago it was a colossally different time than it is now things are still so polarized and you know i'm a good conservative republican i am but i if i want to get stuff done i understand that i got to be able to work with both sides one way or the other especially in a purple state like new hampshire so we got school choice done people said it could never get done we got it done people said we we're never going to be able to cut the taxes that we did we just sla i've never raised the tax we slashed taxes interest in dividends tax even my dad i go to him one day and i'm like hey i'm going to i'm going to get rid of the interest in dividends tax he's like you can't do it he's like republicans will never let you do it and i was able uh, to be able to put that in and so we have no sales tax we have no income tax 
and uh, we're rolling the interest and dividends to zero in the next couple of years. So um, creating that kind of opportunity and getting that stuff done both politically and practically, you know, good management, good fiscal management allows you the flexibility to do that kind of stuff. Um, it's wicked challenging, but man, it's, it can make a fundamental difference in the state. So I love it. I just love it. And that's the biggest thing that kept me from running from the Senate is I didn't want to give up uh, and I wasn't ready to just give up what I, I love doing. Right. And, and, and someone said to me, they go, Hey, Gov, think of this. You don't you you have to get elected every two years. One of only two governors in the country, by the way, me in Vermont that have to get elected every two years. And they said, now you only have to get elected once every six years. Won't that be great? I said, my God, that's terrible. If I hate it in the first year, I'm trapped for five <laughs> more years, man. I said, I'm a young guy. Like, you know, I, I don't want to feel trapped like that. And I said, if that were to happen, and I think there's a 50-50 chance it would have. I probably would have driven them as crazy as they were driving me. So I just knew it wasn't going to be the right fit in partnership in terms of a legislative, uh, uh, you know, uh, opportunity in uh, in Washington. So I'm more of an executive. I'm a CEO. I'm an engineer. I design systems. I love that kind of stuff. And you can just do more of that as a gov. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, I, I sought up close and personal chief of staff to a governor, but then also, you know, eight and a half years in Congress. And you do pull out your hair there in in Congress because the amount of time that is meant is spent spinning your wheels only to have the speaker suddenly say, "Well, we're not going to do any appropriations bills. We're just going to do an omnibus." Yes or no? One point five trillion. Yes or no? Oh, and by the way, we introduced the bill at one thirty in the morning. I know you haven't had a chance to read any of the twenty seven hundred pages that this bill is, but make your decision because we're voting on it tonight. It's like. What a crappy way to run a business or a government. Like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing here? You you must have gone crazy. I mean, I just I know you enough about your personality to know you you just because you're really given it's it's an ultimatum. Right. Yeah. And, And again, you know, there's. There's the underlying, well, you know, what are the politics of this? Are you, you know, are you going to be the one guy in the party that, you know, doesn't do it? And and I'm sure I don't want to speak for you, but I imagine you heard from other, uh, you know, Republicans or or even House members like, man, this is not the the way I thought I'd be doing this. I imagine. Well, it did. The, talk about bipartisan. That was the bipartisan pushback. Like, what in the world are we doing here? I mean, everybody put a happy face on it if they were in the majority and it was their speaker doing it. But if you're in the minority, you're just like, come on. And it, the process, you know, since the 1974 Budget Act, only one time has it gone through what's called regular order to actually get to the point that you do the appropriations bills and you vote them in the way you're supposed to. And then, you know, it's so bad about these bills when they, they come in as an omnibus or a continuing resolution is inevitably everybody gets ads running either for them or against them saying you voted against this or you voted for that. I'm like, you can't lay that on me when it's 2,700 pages. Like it's just, um, in the fear of that, I imagine, I imagine a lot of people just scared. Yeah. You better stay with the team. And I'm like, really? Like, but I don't want to vote for the, like take one subject at a time. Can't we do that? Do we not have enough time? And, and if we don't have enough time in two years, then what, you know, or in one year, why don't we make the budget cycle every two years? One Congress, one budget. How about we do that? If we're going to spend Love that it. many trillions of dollars, it is kind of insane. I, so I, I'm pretty jealous of, you know, a, a good state like, like New Hampshire, good people involved, a wide array of people involved, a manageable budget, people that you can interact with, and then you can really actually make a difference on on mental yeah. health and on school and on 
those types of things. So hats off to you. You you've you seem to be and, doing and it I, doing it right. Can I throw one more thing in there? You know what else I love about the job, and and I mean this very sincerely. I love my team. I love um, the governors I get to work with. So, you know, if I have an issue, I can call, you know, Charlie Baker. I can call Spencer Cox. Spence, Spence is a great, I mean, that guy's an awesome governor, by the way. I think he's doing a great job in Utah. Um, I can call Gianforte. I can call Governor Lee in Tennessee. I can call Dougie uh, in, in North Dakota, or I can call Doug Part 2 in Arizona, or I can call Brian in, in Georgia. And, and we, they pick up the phone and say, oh, yeah, you know, I tried this with mental health, and the Medicaid reimbursement was here. Try to do something. And we would we can talk about the systems and what works there and what doesn't work here and all that right. and um it really the republican governors for the most part are really tight i mean they really are um and even working with democrat governors again there's this very especially over covid there was a lot of bipartisanship because we were all in it together every governor was writing their own playbook every gov every legislature effectively went away and every governor had to really was in a state of yeah. emergency just yeah. the plan and so every night we would all get on the phone together and just bat around ideas well, they're seeing what are the trends how are you getting ppe how are you managing the, your veterans how are you dealing with your um uh, vulnerable homeless population? whatever it was i could go on and on about that but having that team I, I just really enjoy working with other governors so much and um and not that i wouldn't enjoy working with the senators per se but you know like i said i, I wasn't ready to quit you know where, where i was and that's what the senate was really asking me to do quit being governor so you can be a 51st vote and by the way i don't think i was going to be the 51st vote. I'm just going to win the election. That's not the issue. But I think we're going to get 53 or 54 Republican yeah. senators uh, this time around. I think this administration is simply that bad. And um, so the burden of being that 51st governor, you need to be the 51st vote to stop socialism. I heard that loud and clear and I, I thought about it, but the more we got, the deeper we got into it, I realized I, I'm not the only one that can win here. I think we're going to flip Republicans and flip a few different seats over and we're going to have that checks and balance where it needs to be. Well, and the other hard part, and look, uh, New Hampshire's uh, that much closer to D.C. You can get back and forth, but boy, just the time away from the family is, really yeah. takes its toll. But all right. Oh, governor. yeah, my wife was not coming down with me. Oh, yeah. God, no, she was not coming down at all. She's like, you asked for it, brother. You know? yeah. <laughs> but, all right. uh, but boy, there's a lot of vacation. I'll say that. Uh, people say, um, you know, it's really hard being a senator. I'm like, well, look, as a governor, I'm on 24-7 all day, every day, right? Because I'm in, I'm in. Um, I couldn't believe the amount of time, the time in state or whatever you guys, uh, whatever the, the Senate would call it. They sent me this calendar and I was like, my God, you're you're out of Washington quite a bit. That was actually kind of a I haven't gone on a vacation and like th lived with my family in literally three years. And uh, so the idea of actually having some time off where I could really get away, you know, look, if there's an emergency, I got to be here to call out the National Guard. I got to be here to deal with the weather crisis. You know, the, the federal delegation doesn't have to deal with any of that. And so that makes it really hard to um, to get away and probably. Yeah, you, you better know. not be caught, you know, off in some Florida beach or. Yeah. Hike, no, although no, you come the in the Red Rocks of Utah, no problem. We're happy to have <laughs> you here. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more right after this. All right, Governor, I got to ask you some rapid questions as we wrap up here. You, you, uh, you know, uh, Fur has has gone through a lot, and you went through a lot as governor. But let's see if you can't get through these rapid questions. We get to know you just a little bit better. All right. All right, brother. Let's let, give me what you got. First concert you attended. Uh, poison. Poison. Yeah, in the late eighties. Poison. Yeah. <laughs> like, in in New Hampshire, Poison was playing New Hampshire. Where were they at? Boston. Where? Were they? Yeah. 
Uh, no, the Worcester Centrum in Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah, that well, was my first, just... you know, significant concert was Poison. All right. Uh, what was your high school mascot? Uh, Patriots. Oh, yeah. come on, that's it, a, uh, that's a, that. Okay. It was they're, named they're... after Thomas Jefferson. I, uh, Thomas, yeah, we were the, the Patriots. Oh, well, that, that makes total sense. Favorite yeah. vegetable? Is there one really? Um, <laughs> Pepperoni defined as a vegetable. pepperoni vegetable. All right, I like it. Hey, if we're counting uh, no, pepperonis as vegetables, I am all oh in. I found my new favorite. I like vegetable. a good salad. I'm, I'm old school. I just like a good salad. Can we just you know the garden salad? People think I'm so boring. I like spinach, sautéed spinach. Let's go with that. I'm not like See, George. I'm bo- I'm, George that is boring. you're right. That is boring. And um, I, I told my wife, I said, you know, I need all those nutrients. The older I get, uh, the more I need them. I can't just survive on Big Macs like I did in yeah. high school. So, but let's puree it. Let's put it in that blender and I'll just just uh, put every nutrient uh, that I need in there and I will just drink it as fast as I can. Like a power just, shake? Like yeah, like the a power, power shake. shake. She just blends it all. This There's spinach and broccoli and wow. I don't know, all kinds of stuff in there. And I just drink it and drink it fast. And uh, But it's good. Oh, she, make, she pours a little cinnamon in it, makes it uh, a little more palatable. It's really? Good. No, yeah. is, that like a, is that like with an ice or like a milk base or water? No, like, no what, milk. It, they should throw some yogurt and bananas in there. But uh, no, this is more like a, a little ground up ice it, it usually yeah. comes out I, i'm trying cool. to do more i am trying to do more smoothies like for lunch here in, in concord i'll either get a salad or a smoothie but the heart you, you know this as a congressman too you know and as a governor every time you have a, a breakfast meeting or you go visit someone you walk in and it's just like they have pastries and coffee for the governor and they want to <laughs> sit down and it's hard to read and the cookies in the for every afternoon meeting not in my office but if it's outside the office which most of them are they come prepared to to, to feed you right like it's like every time you go to a meeting you're walking into an italian home with a giant thing of pasta and you know ravioli for a four course meal so uh, yeah, you don't want to be rude you, you, you don't no, want to be I, rude look, not eat their cupcakes so you got to have at least half of it exactly forget half of it i look if i don't take three i'm being rude so let's just cut right to the chase <laughs> but all right here's a big one down with, with a with your kale smoothie or whatever you're drinking there yeah, maybe there, see all right what's uh pineapple on pizza yes or no oh god no no oh. let's i look i've talked about banning that let's get really serious for a minute here Pineapple has no place on pizza. I've talked about an executive order to ban it. My team has called me off on it, but I tell you what, you give me a fourth term and, and we're going to have some real, <laughs> Anything's real possible. discussions about it. <laughs> All right. Well, Never. good. Uh, see, I can see why you're so popular. Unique talent nobody knows about. Something that fur can do that nobody knows. Jeez, I'm not sure. I can juggle. Is that yeah. a talent? I don't yeah. know. I, um, I can't do it. So yeah. No one really knows about everyone. Like I'm like such an open book now. Yeah, I guess maybe that would be my slight little talent. I'm not incredibly talented. I guess. When you, I was when a very you ski, good do you player. jump? Do you like jump when you ski or do you just like? Uh, now that I have kids, not as much. I used to do a lot in the air. But now that I have kids, I try to keep both feet on the ground and, you know, be a good example and all that. My kids are pretty dare, are, are pretty strong daredevils. But, uh, yeah, I guess I'm probably, yeah, maybe that's a hidden, I don't know if it's a hidden talent. I'm probably a better skier than most people realize just because I love doing it. It's one thing I really had a lot of passion with uh, with growing up. We're we're getting near the end here, but um, what's that other thing for Chris Sununu? Like, what do you do when you want to clear your head, get away from everything, and just think, all right, I just like for me, I like wildlife photography, uh, you know, uh, that yeah. sort of thing. What do you do to kind of clear your head and just stop hike. thinking about work? Yeah, I love to hike. I hiked the Appalachian Trail uh, about twenty, almost twenty-five years ago now. So I I got up one day and I. I 
I hiked a mountain in Maine and I hiked, I walked to Georgia. Oh my and goodness. So the Appalachian How far is this? Just shy of 2,200 miles, about 2,200 wow. miles. Wow. Yeah. So you camping about along miles. the way? Did you do it all continuous? Yeah. yeah, it's all contiguous. So I just started, we started walking and I mean, there's a whole story behind that and a lot of people do it, but it's 2,200 miles. I was southbound and, um, you know, I just, it was, it was after college and I had two choices. I was, I was either going to become a, an, an engineer and use this degree I had just earned, or I really wanted to go to Hollywood and, uh, and kind of, I had gone to NYU film school for just a little bit and got a little taste of it. And, uh, I was trying to figure all that out. And so, yeah, I love hiking. And so that's, and to this day still, I, uh, I like just, I'm, I'm very outdoorsy that way. So oh, yeah. good for you. Well, and, you're, and, you're in the right state. I mean, it's a beautiful state to hike. That's for sure. Oh, no, we, we got them. We got our 4,000 footers in Mount Washington and the presidential range and, and all over New England. I mean, we're blessed. I mean, we're blessed to, to be in a place where you have all four seasons. You know, hiking in the fall is very different than hiking in the summer. And it's oh, yeah. really, really different than hiking in the winter because there's, there's a whole series of winter oh, hikes yeah. you can do. So you can do the same mountain, the same trail four different times over the year and you get four completely different experiences. So we're, we're pretty, uh, pretty lucky in that sense. Well, that's, that's, that, that's fun. We, what about we you? Our, What's it for you? What, oh, what, what we, clears you? Uh, I, I loved going out in wildlife photography out West here. We can go find big game like bear, bear, elk, deer, moose. I mean, you name it, you can get out after it. And uh, that gets your adrenaline pumping. And the next thing you know, it's, you know, you spend all day and you haven't even thought about any worry that you have. I just absolutely love it. So. Now, do you like doing that alone or do you like actually bringing somebody with you? Uh, sometimes I do it alone, but it's more fun. I, I've got some friends, some buddies, the guys that are good photographers, like a Charlie Lanch, that sort of thing. Uh, my yeah. wife comes out with me and does it uh, sometimes. And, and man, she's tenacious. Those bears are, I'm like, Julie, get back. That's a bear. That's like, that's a legit bear. <laughs> that's a grizzly bear, you know? And, um, and so she, but she's really good at it, and she likes it. It's just fun for us to be out and does about. Does she shoot so. too? Does, does she do the photography piece too? Yeah, I got to get a little more teed up so that she just points and shoots. Um, but uh, she 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 doesn't spend the hours that I do trying to figure out all the all the nuances of all the little tricks. All right, so what do you use? Do. What's your what's your? I'm a Canon guy. I'm a Canon guy. I I. And uh, I've got this 400 millimeter lens that I really like and that I really enjoy. But I'm I'm all Canon. Once you go Canon or Nikon or whatever or Sony, you got to kind of go one direction. So I'm all in with Canon. Yeah, interesting. But it's fun. It's really fun. And you know, yeah. I, I, I'm with you on the hiking and and getting out at the Utah, the mountains, the Red Rocks, the desert. I love them all. So it's so beautiful. You know, I'm headed out there I, every year. I will do a couple days. At, in Deer Valley, we have a, a conference that, um, and I go out with a couple of Republican governors, and, and we, we there's meetings, and it's it's business oriented. But I try to take a half a day and do do a few runs, and you know the, the mountains in the West are just so different than the East. You know, for half the time, and the East skiing is awesome, but you are ice skating down the mountains, right. and it's a right. new level of skill that you have to earn. But when you go to the the um, you know, you go to like Park City or, or Deer Valley or the canyons or whatever. I mean, it's a whole different level of beauty. And it's it's really great. I've I've I love and I'm not just saying this, man. I people ask me, gee, would you rather ski Colorado? It's Utah. It's not even a question. Uh, California, it's Utah, if I'm going to ski, to be sure. Um, I just, and I love, you know, you got the best airport there, right there in Salt Lake. It's so easy to do, you know. You, yeah, you big get in and out. Yep. You get in and out, you're literally at the base of the mountain in 45 minutes. And you just can't beat that as opposed to like flying into Denver or something. It's, it's really difficult. Yeah, then you got like um, five hours to get out to Vail or something. And people don't realize out west, our our snow is truly powder. It It's so dry that you can't yeah. even make a snowball out of it. 
I mean, oh yeah, you go if you go to Alta on the right day, it's it's like it literally is like I'm not gonna say it's skiing in ash, but that's what it is. It's so dry, like it's like you make it floats up in the air and it stays in in the air, and and that's exactly. We like get that. Yeah, I mean, we get powder, but but our powder has a little more water in it and stuff. I used to go out like people used to say because they were in a ski resort. They're like, "Oh, you must ski out west all the time." I'm like, "No, I'm working." Right? I over Christmas break, I'm working. You know, <laughs> 20 hours a day running a ski resort. So um, when I would visit, like with with some of the other managers out there in our national conferences for ski areas, you know, the East Coast guys are talking about you know, making snow in really tough conditions. And the West Coast guys are like, well, you know, we have 500 acres of bowls and powder that there's no right. snow making. So our issues are so different and, and our, our, our business was so different, but um, it's beautiful, man. I mean, I'm, I'm jealous. Well, good. We'll get you down to the Red Rocks too, with a little hiking with that family. Get in a, get in a Jeep or a, a Hummer or something and go up on those red rocks like you've never seen before. That'll give you a thrill. All right, last question. I got to give you a last last question because I promised your your folks. You got to. You talked about the team you want to work with. They're going to be mad. I took up so much of your time. So last question. Trust me. Best advice you ever got. Um. uh, So my dad. This is from my dad actually, and my dad's very good about not giving me too much advice. But he said, um, "Be wary of unsolicited advice." Because it's and beware, very most importantly, of giving unsolicited advice. Because if someone didn't ask for your advice, it's very, it's a minimal chance that they're actually going to take it in the first place. Right. And you're more just espousing for your own benefit. Um, so, and, and that's it. And I don't mind trying to give people advice, but I'm also trying to, you know, give facts and information, let people draw their own conclusions and, and have their own advice. So I try to be very wary about being too preachy about my advice. And that one's from my dad. Interesting. Interesting. Well, look, uh, and don't go Chris, into politics, but I don't. <laughs> Yeah, that one. yeah friends, that. friends don't let friends go for Congress, so that's good. Exactly. You made that decision all by yourself. That's good. Um, listen, uh, Governor Chris Sununu, uh, Governor of New Hampshire, and I just cannot thank you enough for joining us on the Jason in the House podcast and sharing the insight and your story and, and your life, and uh, I really do appreciate it. Oh, this is super fun. You, wait, so uh, you do this out of Utah, right? Uh, it depends where I'm at. Sometimes uh, it, it, you could do this all over the place. You know, I do it for Fox News, but yeah, you could be mobile and doing it. It's nice that way. Oh, that's awesome. That is really awesome. Well, at some point, I'd love to be in studio with you and, and, and just to catch up. We'll, we'll grab a uh, we'll grab a, a turkey sandwich or something. On the no pineapple on a pizza, and and yes, well, something. Yeah, where are other you on pineapple. that? You're not a pineapple pizza guy, oh, right? No, I hate it. That's that's the God. litmus test. Are you you know are you a rational human being or not? You're a I like American. pineapple. I like pizza. They just don't put wet fruit on my pizza. That's all. Done. Done and done. All right. I'm going to go work on the executive order for that right now. <laughs> all right. Governor Chris Seduto, thanks for joining us on the Jason Ellis podcast. Thank you so much, brother. Be good, everybody. All right. I can't thank uh, Governor Sununu enough. That was fun. He, I mean, you could tell. We could have just kept talking. He's just a great, wonderful guy, beautiful family, and uh uh, working hard and obviously very popular there in the state of New Hampshire, where uh, it's just such a beautiful state. I love love it up there and uh, look forward to go back and visit with him at some point. And I hope he gets out to Utah and out west so we can show him some of our desert and red rocks and some serious big tall mountains with lots of vertical feet. So and some amazing snow. So Governor Sununu, thanks so, for, so much for joining us. And thanks for you listening to the Jason in the House podcast. Hope you can rate this. Uh, subscribe to our podcast. Also check out foxnewspodcast.com or 
look at some of the other podcasts out there, and uh, we appreciate it. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this has been Jason in the House. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.